Welcome back to Night Cheese. This is Steven. And I'm Tim. And I'm Jared. And uh, thanks, uh, everybody, for um, joining us this week for our episode titled The Incredible Kulk. Um, more on that. We're going to talk about Home Alone tonight. I don't know. I was just going to tell you that. So um, we're going to talk about Home Alone, but we'll, we'll get there in a minute. So, uh, you know, we're all back in our in our regular spaces, uh, in our regular states and cities and counties after um, the Thanksgiving holiday and heading toward uh, Christmas and all that is to come with it. And in the uh, time that's passed uh, between our last recorded episode and now, there's actually been uh, quite a number of different news items that have come through, um, which we don't really always do that sort of thing. However, uh, there's just been a bunch of like teaser content that has dropped in the past few days. And given that we talk about films and TV and stuff, uh, we'd be remiss if we ignored it. So I, I figured we could, we could go ahead and go through a couple of news items. Um, so, uh, not too long ago, um, the uh, Warner brothers had announced, uh, first that it's a uh, major superhero title. Wonder woman 84 was, or is it 1984? I'm, like it matters, um, <laughs> is is being broadcast on being streamed via HBO Max uh, in addition to theaters. Is that correct? Like, is it doing dual or is it only HBO Max? Now, I I'm not sure, I think but so. I'm pretty sure. yeah, uh, I it's both. to my knowledge, yeah, it's it's being accessible via HBO Max, and I don't think at a premium price point either, mm. which is uh, a really big deal um because i know disney plus and a few other streaming services had had uh access to theatrical releases prior to you know uh you know the typical thing and and they would have like some sort of premium price point with it, but not so much with wonder woman and then not, not long after that warner brothers announced for the year 2021 it's all of its major releases will also have hbo max releases um and i think it's like for the first 30 days or so and then after that, it will go to on demand or something like that, and then uh, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. But um, pretty big, pretty big deal uh, there. What are you, what are your guys' impressions of that? And some of the uh, some of the films on the slate. I'm actually going to try to pull open a note real quick and see what some of the big titles are that are that are coming out um, next year. But what do you guys? How does that strike you, Tim? You want to go first? Hi, it's a big deal. I'm, I'm going to say it's funny whenever I bring it up with people that I talk with, like that are into films like us. It's a huge deal. But for me, I'm a lot more optimistic about it. Than, I feel like people that I've talked to are like, uh, it's the end of theaters. We're done. <laughs> and it may be true. I think my opinion is probably wrong, but I think it's a, it's a, it's, it might be a bad idea. I don't know. It's an interesting way to adapt during a time there's so much like our, the future is so kind of up in the air as far as when people can actually go back to theaters. I do think the whole year is kind of surprising, but um, I don't know. I think it's just an intriguing way to kind of, to kind of flow and go with the flow. I don't know. I, yeah, I think I may be being too like lackadaisical about it. A friend of mine is like, no theaters are done. This is it. This is the end. And I'm like, I don't know. I feel like once the pandemic is over, I, I'm so anxious to get back to theaters and I, I, my hope is that there will be just this kind of outpouring, but I don't know. I have no idea. 
Yeah, it, it worries me because like I'm in a rural area and it's just mm. a little privately owned theater or well, at least yeah. it was. And then it got it even I think prior to the pandemic um, or maybe it may have actually been after March, it got sold to a, a group mm. um, and then they put out a you know a thing in November basically selling passes to like four future movies or five future movies, something like that for like $20 just as a way to oh wow, kind of ride things out. And they basically mm-hmm. said like, it's going to be hard for us to make it if, you know, if, if we aren't able to have some success with some stuff like this. So, mm-hmm. um, so it does worry me and, and it, it almost like I'm surprised and maybe someone's done this on the internet and I just haven't seen it yet, but I, I just, I, I kind of picture like the scene from the dark night, the, the Joker Batman interrogation scene and someone editing that to put like Warner brothers logo on Batman's face. And then the <laughs> Joker being like, you've changed things forever. <laughs> There's no going back, you know? So, uh, it would be, don't talk it. like you're one of them. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. So it just feels oh, like, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't, maybe I'm going to have to do that. If, if I go look and see that no one has done that on, Twitter or YouTube or something, but, um, (laughs) I don't know that kind of, that's kind of the feeling for me. So I am sort of worried about it because I do, I don't know, you know, there's just as much as I appreciate having, you know, access to, to movies at home, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just a double edged sword. Um, there's just some things that you, you, you want to go to the theater for that experience. And especially when I think about, um, the like really iconic franchises of going like to star Wars movies, uh, you know, at midnight or something and people being dressed up or going, uh, and seeing like the end game reaction, mm-hmm. uh, reaction videos yeah. on, on YouTube and stuff like that. And I, I just don't want to lose yeah. stuff like that, you know, but at the same time, I mean, I understand that, you know, in, in some ways it's almost kind of like these, um, sort of well really any brick and mortar stores but especially like the mall pillars like a a macy's or something like that where as much as i appreciate those things i'm as guilty as anybody of not supporting them enough i mean i go to Mm -hmm. theaters but not you know um not enough and so it it does worry me for that reason so i i don't know i don't know what's going to happen but you know if it's going to be if this is just going to be a temporary thing for the pandemic and theaters are going to survive well enough, or if this is really sort of changing the landscape for the future going forward. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm torn a little bit. Um, and the more we talk about this, you know, the more thoughts I have. Um, so I have a list of the, um, um, of the films so far that, that have been named, that are from Warner brothers that are going to be on HBO max. And I'd like to go through some of those in a minute. Um, I think we're all in agreement. We don't want to see theaters go away. Um, obviously, but I am kind of, my interest is peaked in the adaptability of certain theater chains Mm -hmm. and how they, how creative they will get to sort of refresh that experience. You know, um, uh, like Jared said, I mean, that, the, the the simple truth is these these moments are few and far between mm-hmm. with the quality 
of these giant epic films, but those moments are irreplaceable. Like, I mean, you, you mentioned Endgame specifically, and and that is that is a memory that will stick with me as far as, as long as I remember going to the movies. Oh yeah, um, having experiencing that climactic moment in a crowd of people for mm-hmm. the first time, who a crowd of people who had all gone through like 20 something movies together and, you know, having yeah. that moment, you know? Um, oh, yeah. and that's the kind of thing you want to share with a big crowd. And there are some, there are some movies that are better, better handled for the big screen, you know, mm-hmm. um, your Marvel stuff, your star Wars, you even, even some of, you know, Christopher Nolan stuff. We talked about tenant earlier this year, you know, and, and, um, how, you know, I, we weren't really able to go see that. I know, um, heard good things from people who didn't make it out to go see that. Um, but so so that's hard. Um, but I was thinking I, I keep my eyes and ears out for things. Of course, I'm in North Carolina, we're already ramping up for probably another lockdown um, as things are progressing. But um, one of my favorite theaters, I say favorite theaters, I've only been there once, but it made such a good impression on me. It's my favorite theater now um, is the, the Alamo Drafthouse um here in raleigh and uh, i mean they have chains everywhere so you maybe you're familiar with them listeners if you are but um they during the pandemic have been renting out theaters yeah. like so um and they um allow someone to pay i mean it's like a hundred dollars or 150 dollars or something but to rent out an entire space and select your own movie i think in showtime too and it's not just wow. current run current run films either like uh, i was looking not too long ago to see how it goes. But like, you know, they have like holiday films and stuff and even like, you know, retro eighties movies and stuff like that. So you could have like a back to the future party or something like that, you know, and in a theater, which is really cool and a good way for them to make money because you do have to place this deposit down and everyone still has to buy their ticket, but you get like a certain number of tickets. So basically you get like a code that you can invite your friends to go see it and, and like all you can go together. And I think that's an awesome idea. Um, it's not one that I can particularly afford, um, <laughs> but at least not at this time in my life. But but the notion of it, I'm really I really like the um, adaptable idea of promoting that sort of thing um, and not just trying to go back as business as usual, um, because I think uh, this this feels kind of icky me saying it like this. I don't want any theaters to fail, but mm. at the same time, they've gotten so big. Um, I kind of miss the days where theaters were a little smaller in size. Um, I don't miss the chairs or the floors or anything like that of the old days, but a little, a little bit of a smaller room for certain things. And that kind of, kind of gets into my next point is that is, um, one thing I think that could be good from this is while we may suffer not having the moments of the, of the big epic blockbuster films, putting something of this quality on a streaming service right away might open up more opportunity to say like the, the kind of Oscar Oscar bait films and stuff that people normally would say like, Oh, I'll rent it when it comes out, you know, or that's what that we used to say back in like the nineties um, or whatever we do now, like, you know, I'll, I'll stream it later. I'll red box it later. So some of these, you know, if you already have uh, particularly with Warner brothers, if you have um, HBO max, um, you'll have access to some of these films that you know you might not have otherwise gone to the theater to see. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, financially, I don't know what that does to the studios and stuff. But anyway, I want to go go down the list um, 
I'll, I'll try to behave and not go through every single one of them, but, but there, but because there, there were some I saw that I'm like, oh, we have to talk about that. And as I'm scrolling through, I see, ooh, that sounds like a good movie, and I've never even heard of it. So starting at the beginning of 2021, there is a crime thriller with, uh, called The Little Things, um, which will be, I guess, the first movie to come out um, on HBO Plus. It's got Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, and Jared Leto. Um, all in it, uh, Denzel plays a deputy sheriff who's sent to Los Angeles on an ev- evidence gathering assignment. Basically, it's a crime thriller. Yeah, it's a crime thriller. He's searching for a serial killer, which no trailer there, but um, staff and description alone seems like it's watchable. Almost sounds like that deserves to be on a streaming service. No, no, no harm intended in that statement. But, you know. <laughs> um, Tim, I wanted to bring up Judas and the Black Messiah is going to be on mm. uh, HBO Max, the story of um, Black Panther Party leader Fred Hampton, who was assassinated by the FBI. Um, Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield, one of my favorite modern trailers right now. Um, oh, yeah. That's it, looks, it looks really powerful. Um, and so I'm really excited that I won't have to try to find a babysitter to go see that movie. Mm, um, yeah. So that's one of the selfish ones where I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> we already know we're going to get to see that. Uh, apparently they're making a lot, not a live action. Is it, is it, uh, they're making a Tom and Jerry remake. Um, a film of that. Uh, let's see. There's a film, let's see, called The Many Saints of Newark, a crime drama with... Uh, Ray, let's see, Ray Liotta's in it. Uh, Leslie Odom Jr. from Hamilton. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. Um, a Hugh Jackman film called Reminiscence, uh, which is like a sci-fi uh, thriller. Um, now we get into some of the bigger ones. So this is a disappointment. Godzilla versus Kong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's obviously made for, <laughs> for a big screen. And I feel like um, ho- hopefully, you know, there's some movies like that that I feel like even if they are available... I will as soon, you know, once the opportunity is there, I will still want to see in the, you know, theaters for sure. You'll want to see on a big screen yeah. for sure. So in the vein of Judas and the Black Messiah too, Tim, um, Lin-Manuel Miranda's other Broadway Tony winning musical in the Heights is also okay. going to be oh, wow. released. Of course, I mean, Hamilton, obviously, you know, that exploded when it came on Disney plus. Um, so that's going to make it uh, in the Heights his next one, which was set to come out this past summer. Um, is being released on HBO Max. Wow. So I feel like that. The uh, Space Jam remake is going to come straight to HBO <laughs> Max, which honestly, I'm kind of, um, <clears throat> I'm happy that that is coming to HBO Max because now I feel like I can sort of, you know, I, I can check it out and not feel guilty about it. <laughs> um, so, so while we're, just a quick little interjection yeah. here. While while we were talking about this, I was um, just browsing Twitter and and one of the first things that came up in my stream was someone saying, more than ever, the HBO Max announcement now feels like pure panic because they knew today was coming. Uh, <laughs> talking about the the Disney, you know, yes. Marvel, um, Star Wars, uh, what's the the uh, Pixar? Yeah, yeah. Uh, all their releases. Uh, anyway, uh, new today was coming, yeah. and they wanted to make noise. Uh, production partners be damned. They'll write books about last week, and this was retweeted by someone who said, "If memory serves." This is how Man of Steel 2 became Batman v Superman yes, during the 2013 San Diego Comic Con. About to bring up Batman v Superman when you said that. <laughs> really? When they started making announcements about Civil War, Captain America Civil War, and they just released the Batman v Superman trailer that had spoiled Wonder Woman and spoiled Doomsday and all this other stuff. Yeah. And I was like, oh. Speaking of DC, the Suicide Squad. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's also going to be released. Uh, Joel Gunn's take on the Suicide Squad. The um, I was I never saw the original here or read the novel, but I know a lot of people are excited about Dune. Mm-hmm. Um, Dune's coming as well. Um, let's see. Um, and then of course, Jared, the the Matrix Four. Yes, I've got that's one I've got to see in the theater mm-hmm. just to just to get that nostalgia experience. Yes. I mean, hope I mean hopefully. It's awesome visuals too. I think they're yeah. trying to. They have some sort of new, um, you know. I think this may have been. A, I don't know if this was a rumor confirmed, but that they had some sort of new camera trick, kind of like what they had in the original Matrix. Oh, it's hard for me to believe that, or at least like it's going to be like, you know, it's going to be like a minimal jump in technology. Whereas sure. you know, some of the things they were doing back then were more revolutionary. But mm-hmm. whatever. It's going to be. Such an inside joke here, but what it is is they're going to zoom in on Neo's shoe and then come out <laughs> right, right. like in the music video for Hire. Yes, Creed. yes, yes. That's, exactly. that's the big deal. Yeah. Cat's out of the bag. Uh, and then the last one I'll talk about just briefly, just to let you guys know, because I didn't even know this was a thing. Uh, they're making another Mortal Kombat. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I'm I've been fearful. so. Yeah, I've been so out of the woods on that video game franchise since probably part two, I guess. Yeah. So I don't even have a clue. It was like, is this going to be some kind of remake or just it, it's a it whole is, new generation at this point? It is a reboot. Yeah. Um, I've followed it just a little bit. I kind of lost some interest when I saw that they were like redesigning the dragon logo. Like as soon as I saw that, I'm like, uh, I, don't, clean. I don't like where you're trending with this. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, yeah. So. We'll see. I mean, I I thought the first one was like an underrated movie in terms of like when it came out at the time, this was 95, I think. It was probably the best video game movie ever made. It was like generally, you know, reviewed that way. Uh, And then Annihilation was, um, yeah. Well, we all know (laughs) Mortal Kombat, the first Mortal Kombat directed by Event Horizon director. Paul that's Hennett, right. That's right. So, if people you know. people watch this podcast regularly, they would know that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So that the, the that big <laughs> earth shattering announcement has now been dwarfed by Disney's investor call. Which which how how Disney is that by the way? <laughs> yeah. Which right. is like this is a four hour long conference call that we're doing today, right, and we're right. just going to turn it into our own Comic Con. Right. That's, that's yeah. fine. That's what we're going to do. Um, not only for, you know, so yeah, for Disney animation, Disney plus, they even announced some things for Hulu. I mean, Jared, I don't know if you were, if you were tuning in yet, but you see that, that, uh, Hulu slash ESPN plus has now gained, uh, rights to sec football. Um, I, I did not. Yeah. So in 2024, they're taking over from CBS, um, oh, wow. the, the yeah. game of the week stuff. And, and uh, I, I was really hoping when I heard them talking about that, that they were just going to say, if you have ESPN plus now, you just get the SEC network. But um, right. out that's not what they said mm. um, anyway. But yeah, so so when they get to the actual, you know, all the Disney properties and start announcing this, just this vomitous mass of content um, from to be on Disney plus with their Star Wars properties, Disney animation, Pixar and Marvel. Um Man, I, I don't know. There's a ton of stuff everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it feels like I wish they split it up. Like a, they had a day for each. 
yeah. because it feels like I just like I went to a great restaurant and just like gorged on <laughs> everything. And then like now you're just kind of sick. You know, it was like, like Golden man, Corral, so... but <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Like it was great, but now, like, yeah, that was way too much, and now I'm I've made myself sick. Yeah. Yes. So Star Wars has basically set off an explosive within the universe of the Mandalorian, and every character that touches it basically has its own show now. Yes, um, pretty much. <laughs> which, which which I'm excited about. Um, I, I I like the idea. Um, you know, um, help me with the pronoun Ahsoka. Is that Rosario Dawson's character? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So she's getting her. That was going to be rumored that she once they announced she was even a character that she might be getting her own show. They've confirmed that. Um, I think, you know, big news. They've brought Hayden Christensen back as Darth Vader for the yeah. Obi-Wan uh, show, which is set post Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. I like ten, 10, 10 years. Uh, after. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's full, full on Vader at that point yeah which is which is makes me really curious how they intend to is this this gonna be like kylo ren in the last jedi where it's like okay we're just gonna have him take his you know his mask off we're gonna do flashbacks i'm Mm -hmm. I'm really curious to see how they're gonna work that in there's too much sand in the ship (laughs) um (laughs) yeah uh, well i've been really you know the mandalorian was kind of what i was hoping the obi-wan story would was him like wandering the galaxy, you know, hmm. doing these sorts of things and stuff. So I, I'm really curious what his will be. Um, the old Nintendo 64 geek in me is really excited that they're doing a Rogue Squadron mm-hmm. uh, show. Um, I feel like that'll be fun. Uh, and they're also and they announced a Lando show too. But I mm. I wasn't really in the zone at that point, and I heard about that from you guys later. So is is this old Lando or young Lando? Do we know? I think I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that Donald Glover had signed on, but I have to verify that. But I think in some timeline I read that. Fingers crossed. Well, I'd much rather see Young Lando than yeah. Lando. No. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I can't imagine that. It, like, like I would imagine that they may they could find some way to work, um, you know, Williams in. Um, like it starts off the series starts off as a flashback or something like that. I, I don't know because I don't know if they want to like. I, I, that's the other thing we don't know with the Mandalorian yet is like how much, if any, it's going to tie into the future movies that have enraged so many people, mm. <laughs> um, and that Disney is trying to do damage repair from. Or you know, are they going to? Are they? You know, is this where this is ultimately going to go? They're going to tie them in, or are they going to be like? Eh, maybe we should just avoid that landmine and we'll let it all be. So that's the thing with, you know, with, with Billy D is, is um, I don't know how they would kind of, you know, work some of that. I guess maybe they could sort of still set him as like, you know, being before the, the, the new movies or whatever. But anyway, but I would think it would be Donald Glover, you know? Yeah. Well, um, so let's jump into, uh, also, real quick, I'll just say from a Pixar standpoint, um, their next film, Soul, is going to be available on Disney Plus on Christmas Day. I'm, I'm excited to see that. I was I was looking forward to that one, anyways. Um, <clears throat> coming in, coming into things. Oh, by the way, um, I don't know if you guys missed it. So, so Jared shared with me while well, we shared simultaneously. They're doing a re a reboot, I guess, of Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers with John Mulaney and Andy Samberg, <laughs> a, a mix of live action and 
CGI. So like like I guess. a Roger Rabbit style kind of thing, I guess. I guess, yeah, I guess so. That, yeah, that seems really um, <laughs> promising. I think the casting of Mulaney and Sandberg will be fun. I yeah. think Andy Sandberg is a great choice for Dale. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. So um, they're also digging into their uh, old live action reboot stuff as well. They're making another Mighty Ducks film um, with Emilio Estevez and Lauren Graham from Gilmore Girls. Interesting. Yeah, called Mighty Ducks Game Changers. Um, They announced they're making another sister act. I saw that. They're making another Three Men and a Baby with, uh, (laughs) with Zac Efron. Um, so yeah, anyway, if all that stuff comes for free on on Disney plus, I mean, I'm fine for free. Another, another one that really caught my eye and I don't know, cause I haven't seen this movie in, I mean, since I was a kid, it's been so long, but they're doing a series of reboot, I guess not a reboot, I guess, but a series Willow, but starring Warwick Davis as the main character. It's a shame they couldn't get that on Gilmer. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I'm man. sure he looks exactly the same. <laughs> Not so much. Well, um, so there's, uh, so yeah, uh, obviously I've been holding off, not talking about Marvel uh, until now. Um, boy, oh boy, there's a lot of interesting things going on. So they had already announced um, the January 15th, uh, basically a couple of weeks after Mandalorian ends and Christmas passes, uh, WandaVision will be starting with mm-hmm. uh, you know, Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany. And, and um boy oh boy it just looks like the best kind of weird um katherine hahn is in it um too and and they released a second trailer for that today it looks pretty amazing and i'm really excited they gave just a tease they didn't show anything for the next doctor strange film but they came out again to say that it kind of sets the pace for doctor strange for the next doctor strange film and um they came out i mean which is um we haven't even talked about Spider-Man, but it also, they also came out and verbally said it sets the tone for the next Spider-Man film too. Um, which it is, which many castings have announced for that of bringing in this sort of a live Spider-Verse, Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, some of the villains from the past films. And even recently, uh, Netflix's daredevil, Charlie Cox is also being brought into the film as well. So it's, it's really, really exciting and ambitious Mm -hmm. what Marvel's trying to do here. Um, on a adjacent Marvel topic, the director of Spider-Man Homecoming, John Watts, it was tagged to be the director for um, Marvel's reintroduction of the Fantastic Four uh, into the MCU. So he's going to be directing the Fantastic Four film. Um, Christian Bale is going to be the villain in the next Thor movie. Oh, <laughs> man. Um, which which sounds amazing. Um they, you know, talked about another Ant-Man and Wasp movie. It's titled Quantum Mania, um, which everyone seems to be coming back for that. And they're also even his older daughter from Endgame. Uh, she'll be in it as well. And also Jonathan Majors from Lovecraft Country is going to play a character named Kang the Conqueror, which uh, I only know from video games. But um, he has a lot of the fact that he's going to be a character in the MCU has a lot of exciting implications about Mm -hmm. dimensional travel and stuff. So Mm -hmm. um, a couple of surprising things. So uh, they have actually pulled the trigger on um, bringing in the character of Riri Williams as Iron Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which is, uh, you know, the, 
I don't want to call her a protege of Tony Stark because I don't really know they ever had any interactions with each other. But basically, the young, uh, young African American uh, female Iron Man. Um, so uh, that that's really exciting. Um, on a sad but respectful note, they also announced that they will not be replacing Chadwick Boseman in Black Panther two. Um, that they are just going to let T'Challa be. Uh, right. which um, I think is for the best. I mean, mm. there, there was probably not going to be an easy situation out of that, but it's one thing um, they're doing um, moving along. They're, they're doing a secret secret invasion uh, show. Yeah. Um, also one, let me see. Almost done here. Um, they released a Loki trailer, which looks really, really interesting as well. The, yeah. The Loki trailer almost kind of seemed along the lines of in, in terms of like, um, how offbeat it seemed. Like it seemed sort of like uh, similar to WandaVision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, just a different I, thing. Yeah. You and see, I didn't, I didn't expect that. So I, yeah, I forgot kinda... that Owen Wilson was cast. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even remember. I don't think I ever knew that he had been. I don't know. So when I heard his voice, I was like, oh, that sounds like Owen Wilson. Oh, that's right. I yeah. Forgot. Like I like read it, it one day on Twitter and immediately forgot. It threw me for a second because it, it was a little bit like, um, John, like in the way he looks, it was a little bit like uh, John Slattery as oh, um, yeah. as uh, Howard Stark. Uh, Howard Stark, yeah. And and so it threw me because like, no, that's not him. But it, it but it was like a little bit of a similar look, you know. So it took me a second to realize it was him. Yeah. Um. This this next title is not really a big deal in the grand scheme of things, but I'm really excited about it. Is um I know you guys are probably familiar with the mythos of the Star Wars holiday special and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, from years back. Well, they announced a Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Yes. It's going to be written and directed by James Gunn. <laughs> and I cannot wait for that. Yeah. That's oh, going to yeah. be, I mean, it's going to be, I'm assuming Christmas of 2022. So we've got a while before we get there. But uh, but I'm really excited. And there's also an original I Am Groot series as well. A series of shorts. Starring featuring, Baby Groot. <laughs> featuring several <laughs> new and unusual characters. And Jared called it like, He's got to run into Grogu, aka Baby Yoda. Yeah, so, like we have to, we have just, to have the Baby Groot, Baby Yoda uh, crossover yes. solely for solely for the merchandise. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, and then lastly, um, they also announced, uh, re-announced a She-Hulk um, as well. And and notable about that, they said that Mark Ruffalo will appear in the series, mm. as will Tim Roth, who played Abomination, the mm-hmm. villain in the Edward Norton uh, Hulk film. So. Um, yeah, I am, they have my attention. Um, yeah. I'll say that. Whew. So there's so much, so much going on there. I feel like, it, is there anything else we forgot to mention? Cause I did go circle back around and mention Spider-Man, but anyway, there's just so much content coming. And I mean, you know, being the next two to three years or so, but yeah. And, so- and we didn't even, I think mention the one that we're at least I'm probably most excited about uh, is in the short term is uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Oh, that's right. Which, you know, I mean, we we've talked about it and we knew it was coming. And so it's March. It's going to be here in March. Oh, that's uh, wonderful. So so we got the trailer for that. And um, yeah, so I I had just started we had just started eating dinner when Marvel's announcement started coming. So I was just scrolling through my Twitter feed and retweeting everything so I yeah. could go back and see it. And I missed that. And I missed that one. Um, I had, I had actually heard, um, 
I mean, I'd heard them talking about it, like while I was making my plate and stuff. And I was just like, okay, yeah, I'll go back and watch that later. Yeah, I've, it, I've retweeted it now to go back the, and watch. Well, and and the very first line of it, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil a trailer for you even, but the no, very first line of it, um, well, yeah, if you want me to say, is it, I'll paraphrase these into it. it. May not be exactly right, but basically, it's Sam saying, uh, the legacy of that shield is complicated. And so it kind of goes to what wow. we had talked about before of how, you know, they were going to, you know, explore some of this stuff, I think. That's what that's what I, I read think, into it from one, you know, one line. I, I think Ben Shapiro just had a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Oh, gosh. That's that's a wonderful introductory line, though. It just, is. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the ethics and the implication of, of Sam being the, the carrier of that shield and that symbol. Right. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, that's going to be really, oh man, can't wait. I'm so glad that's coming soon-ish. Uh, okay, well, let's uh, take the time machine back to our current time here in December, um, and we'll look back to 1990 for Home Alone. Um, you know, obviously an annual, uh, annually celebrated Christmas movie uh, came out in November of 1990, um, both Home Alone and Home Alone 2, which we'll talk about uh, some as well tonight, are available on Disney Plus right now. Um, also, I'm going to be reference, probably referencing throughout the episode a few anecdotes from a supplemental uh, mini documentary. If you have Netflix, there's a series that I really recommend, highly recommend called The Movies That Made Us. Um, and every episode is sort of a background on the creation and architecture of some um, widely popular movies, mostly from the 80s and 90s. Um, they only have, I think, one season of it right now, but one episode is about the story of how Home Alone came to be. Um, they do some others like Die Hard and Ghostbusters that are they're, they're really highly recommended too. Um, but anyway, the home, uh, I'll be referencing that Home Alone episode every once in a while tonight as well. Um, so the first home alone, it's, it's interesting. I've never, it's, it's a movie I've never really thought of in terms of quality, you know, um, in terms of like universal opinion on its quality. Mm -hmm. So I was surprised to see the Rotten Tomatoes scores. Um, the critic score was 65%. This is, we're talking about the first one, um, too. And, but the user rating was 80%. Um, and IMDb uh, rated as 7.6. Um, directed by Christopher Columbus and John, uh, directed by Christopher Columbus, written by the great John Hughes of pretty much 80, any, excuse me, every good 80s teen film um, uh, wrote this as well. Um, Home Alone was actually a nominated for both two Academy Awards and two Golden Globes. Um, it was nominated for Best Original Song uh, for Somewhere in My Memory, which is sort of the sentimental theme, you know, you, you hear throughout the uh, throughout the movie when things mm -hmm. get emotional. Um, it lost, <laughs> surprisingly, it lost to Madonna for uh, Sooner or Later I Always Get My Man from Dick Tracy, uh -huh. which I saw Dick Tracy in the theaters when I was a kid and had no idea it got any Oscar recognition until researching this episode um for what it's worth those of you who are fans of uh 80s hair music bon jovi was also nominated that year for blaze of glory from young guns 2 um <laughs> so you know uh, one thing i'm learning through these episodes and research is there's a pretty wide net 
for um for the mu- for music to get nominated for Oscars. Yeah. Um, I mean, I should have known that when Three Six Mafia won one, but you know, whatever. Um, hard out here for a pimp. So uh, the two. Uh, Golden Globe nominations, though, were actually more surprising in terms of nominations. It was nominated for Best Motion, Pi- Best Motion Picture uh, in the comedy category and lost to um, a Peter Weir film called Green Card that, uh, I'll be honest, I've never heard of. Um, and then Macaulay Culkin was actually nominated for Best Actor in a comedy at the wow. Golden Globes that year and lost to uh, Gerard Depardieu from that same film, Green Card. Um, so anyway, I was very surprised to see that level of recognition, even, even in something like the golden globes, uh, for this film. So before I keep going into stats and stuff, um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk a little bit just about the initial impressions of home alone. Do you guys have any, any stories or any thoughts about how, um, you know, your, your, your first interactions with it or early memories of it? Um, yeah. So Tim, what about you? Yeah, I, it's I was five, so it came out in 90, so I was five years old, and I don't, I don't remember initially, like an initial, a definitive time I saw it, but I do remember it's just kind of common, you know, like a common Christmas film, like after it came out, we watch it all the time, you know, every, every year. I, you know, as a kid, you love it. It's, it's a child (laughs) stopping burglars in the most insane madcap ways so i loved it but i do there's one small story i guess that either that same year or a year later that it had come out um our church was doing like a, a children's play this has nothing to do with the film but okay um i remember they're trying to convince us kids like hey you should you know, do these parts in the play and i remember as a kid i just had no interest i was just too nervous i didn't want to and uh one of the ways they convinced some of us kids me included to be some of the shepherds uh, in this Christmas play, um, they said, yeah, when uh, the angels come and scare the shepherds, you could like slap your hands against your face <laughs> and scream like home alone. And when they said that, I was like, oh, I am all in. I've been made for this. This is perfect. And so I was one of the shepherds solely because I got to reenact that uh, home alone scene. And so I will never forget that. That was like my like exciting, you know, that's all I've got to do. And it's so much fun. So. That's a just a small, really random memory from, from not even from the film, but uh, for a second I thought for a second I thought you were gonna say the the scene where Kevin hides hides from, in the nativity you know, where he yeah. hides in the nativity scene as the shepherd. I'm like, yeah. wow, okay, that's that's, that's a, what's got you on board, huh? Interesting. <laughs> Remember when he put a blanket over his head? No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jared, what's your uh, what's your initial memories and take on Hamlin? Yeah, I can't remember if I saw it in the theater or not. I would have been uh, 10 at the time. So I don't know if I saw it in the theater when it came out or, you know, just like the next year sometime on VHS. But, uh, yeah, I mean, kind of like Tim said, you know, when you're a kid, uh, you know, just a couple of years age difference between, you know, I think um, Kevin McAllister in that movie is eight. And so, you know, not not, uh, much of a difference there, a couple of years. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was just a lot of fun. Um, a little kid uh, foiling uh, burglars, really more like not burglars as much as home invasion 
suspects. Like when you go back and think about it, like it's like they know that child is at home and they are going to go rob the house. And, you know, anyway, um, <laughs> when you yeah, how would about... that have gone if he had just let them in the house when they right. came knocking on the door, you know? Yeah. Like, go, go eat your macaroni and cheese. We're, we're just going to get some stuff. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, it's was a fun movie and still is a, you know, a fairly fun movie. And then uh, I think as I've gotten older, appreciated some of the little um, sentimental stuff mm, in it yeah. from like his relationship with uh, old man Marley and things like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but um, uh, yeah, just uh, I, I, I saw it. I'm sure if, if I didn't see it in the theater, it would have been probably the year after it came out because it was so big, yeah. you know. Um, uh, so it's it's been a part of my life ever since basically it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I, I probably have, uh, I probably say I don't have a lot of memories of seeing specific movies and that might not be true, but this, this is one movie I have a very specific memory going to see. Um, mm-hmm. so it came out in November, early November, 1990. And I remember seeing it in Athens, uh, Georgia, where my, my grandparents lived at the time. And we, we had gone there for Thanksgiving and it was either on Thanksgiving day or we had spent the night and we were there on black Friday. I don't know, but my dad took me and my brother to go see it. And I was, um, I guess I was nine years old. And, um, it was just, it's just a funny, funny memory of going to the movies with my dad because he was, um, always early to the movies so we were there like probably 20 minutes early to every movie we ever saw and i could watch that whole rotation of commercials like three times before (laughs) um they started and i kind of liked it like that i just loved being in the room you know like i mean that's just that's probably where i learned to to love movies but we were late uh that day and i'd never been i'd never been late to a movie before and so like um i just knew this was a movie i wanted to see and we walked in and we were already I can't remember what part it was, but the the um, family had not left to the airport yet. I know. So it was still kind of early on, but we were late. We missed trailers, you know, all that stuff. And um, we sat like close to the front row, watched it, loved it. And I remember it was the only time in my life my dad was like, OK, this time let's just stay. And like he let us stay and like we stayed all the way until the next showing started, because back then it was still kind of an kind of an early release film. So there were back-to-back showings and mm. we stayed and watched the like first however many minutes we had missed uh-huh. again and i remember like trying to beg him just like we're already here why don't we just watch <laughs> it again and he was like no no that's not you know that wouldn't be honest so we so we left we got up and left at the point where we in the movie where we had previously come in um which is just a just a funny memory uh that i have uh, being the only time like that but um yeah i mean that movie was a was a pre-adolescent boy's dream mm. i mean just um you know the notion of the the notion of um assumed independence like mm-hmm. you know what would matched with the kind of naivety of trying like you know what would it really be like if i got to be on my own and stuff without really knowing how the world works and stuff um it's just crazy but that movie was a monster so um I want to give a little bit more data on it. So it was, um, so it spent 12 consecutive weeks at number one, Mm. which, um, was no easy task. Uh, it's longer than the Christmas season. It is, it is. So, and that was, um, back to that movies that made us episode. They said that, you know, it was by design. They released it right before Thanksgiving. 
so they could get families in at the holiday. Then Christmas hit when kids were out of school and then people just kept coming back. Um, Wow. So it made, um, it's at the time uh, in 1990, it was the highest grossing comedy of all time. Um, And then, and for the year 1990, I don't know, this, this is almost baseball levels of, of um, particulars when it comes to certain categories, but it said it was the highest grossing domestic box office for 1990 in the um, in-year release, which I, I guess was highest grossing for, for the year that it came out in maybe. I don't know. Because, because all time, it's actually the second highest grossing film for 1990. It finished behind uh, Ghost, the Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore movie. Um, but it was, um, yeah, so it, it finished gro- uh, grossing $476 million. And its uh, budget ended up being $14 million. Which, which was, uh, which of course seems like a huge amount to me, but uh, it turns out in studio language, not so much. Um, it's not not really a big deal. Yeah. Um, I would talk about the budget real quick because it's a funny story. So like, they originally this film was going to come out through Warner Brothers, and um, they agreed to make it for ten million dollars, but uh, obviously costs grew, and um, and they said to put things into perspective. Home Alone was to be made for $10 million. Here's just a few other movies that came out around that time. Uh, the year before the Tom Hanks movie, Big, uh, $18 million. Uh, wow. 1989's Batman, $35 million. Back to the Future 2, $40 million. Last week's episode, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, $48 million. Man. The Who Framed Roger Rabbit cost $70 million. And they wanted to make Home Alone for ten. Um so eventually they, their budget made it to 14.7 million <laughs> and, and they, and they, they're like, this is like, we can't cut it any more than that, you know? Mm-hmm. So they were trying to uh, convince Warner brothers to let them make it for 14.7. And, um, and then like, uh, the Christmas holidays passed and they resumed production in January and Warner brothers basically told them, no, if you can't make it, if, if that's what it's going to cost to make, we're just going to shut you down. And so they shut down production on Home Alone. And so what actually happened was over the holidays, John Hughes was best friends with a film executive from 20th Century Fox, who was also who that guy was friends with, like the head of the studio. So they were just like eating lunch one day. And he's like, hey, that Home Alone movie, like, how's that going? And so he's like, tell me about it. Like, what's it about? And he's like pitching in the movie, telling him everything. He's like, we're having a hard time with the budget, though, because like, you know, they want us to make it for 10 million. We can only make it for 14. And the head was there with his friend. And he was like, man, if we had that movie, I'd make it for that for that amount. No problem. He's like, really? I'm like, "Okay." so literally this is what happened. So they they were shooting inside that their location was actually inside the high school that was used for Ferris Bueller's day off. Mm. It was like an old shutdown school and they had used the gym to build the interior of the house. So uh, all the interior, all the interior shots inside the house yeah. are, are on a soundstage that they made inside a high school gym. And the Warner brothers production manager was walking around from office to office because they'd used classrooms as like, you know, film, production offices or whatever walking around saying the movie shut down the movie shut down the movie shut down stop working you know like it's not being made and 
as soon as the production manager like left uh, either Chris Chris Columbus or or John Hughes's office, they immediately picked up the phone and called their guy at Fox and was like, "Hey, uh, I just got the word they shut down. Like, great, you're a Fox movie now. Bye, click." <laughs> And like immediately like picked it up like within a second. And so that guy had to wow. follow Warner Brothers guy around and like went to every room that had just told the movie was over to say, no, we're still back on. No, we're still back on. And Sorry. apparently he like met face to face with the Warner Brothers guy. He's like, oh, by the way, you're fired. That's funny. <laughs> like, which is just hilarious, like how quickly things change in the film industry. Um, but yeah, so they ended up making it for like 14, 14.7 million, which is still compared to those other films is, is really cheap, uh, considering everything they were able to accomplish. So, yeah. Um, I don't know about you guys, but this film too was my introduction to a lot of non Christmas Carol Christmas songs. Mm. Um, is the first time I'd ever heard run, 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 Rudolph, run, Rudolph run by Chuck Berry when they're running through the airport. Mm-hmm. Uh, first time I ever heard rocking around the Christmas tree. Um, and that scene where he's, you know, mm. got his, pants tied to all the dummies and yeah stuff and everything um but anyway you know the the in movie soundtrack is is uh is a really great introduction into holiday music and that and that continues even into the second film some as well but it was pretty pretty neat um a question for you guys so obviously we talked a little bit about how it felt to watch it as a kid uh now that you're an adult um does your perception on the characters or anything like has anything changed in your viewing at all? Do you see it any differently or do you kind of still take it in the same way? I'm curious. Especially you, Tim, as a parent of, of, of boys. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I will say a lot of things have changed. I will say one thing that hasn't, and I still really like this movie a lot as, as silly as it can be. And all the, the little problems and quirks with it, you know, um, yeah, I feel like I'll spend a lot of time watching it. I've been like, oh man, I just seeing all the ways they tried to, you you knew that they were addressing potential plot holes. You know, like yeah. we got to make oh, sure yeah. the phone lines out for longer. You know, all these <laughs> things that like could fix this really quickly. <laughs> so it took me years to discover is when the fight breaks out in the kitchen and the milk gets spilled on the counter and they're throwing away mm-hmm. all the wet napkins. They throw away Kevin's plane ticket. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I'm. It took a while to notice that too. I forgot. Which is why they never have it when they're rifling them out, so they don't know that it's missing. You know. Yeah. Um. And I. Yeah. That's. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Their attention to detail is Mm -hmm. really well done. Um, Yeah. I will say that there's a lot of things I could I could point out specifically, but one just you mentioning as a parent, one thing like that I really. And latching on to now. And I think I on Facebook somewhere, Victoria Farmer mentioned this as well. So I'm kind of stealing from her, but I also had kind of in, inklings of this anyways. But the 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 I forgot how much time is spent on Catherine O'Hara's character as well, uh the mother. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. that that sense of like guilt as a mother, but then also just this the the love that a mother has and like how she would do anything for this kid, you know, for her son and seeing the lengths that she would go to, you know, uh, there's so scenes of like selling, you know, or trading tickets, but giving hundreds of dollars and watches and earrings. And, um, anyways, just all the lengths, um, that she took to get there. 
which sadly I, I forgot how like how quickly the rest of the family gets yeah. there. I'm like, oh <laughs> man, what a it was almost not worth it, you know. But just to see that that process, I was I'd forgotten how much time in the film was spent on her, and uh, it really like, oh yeah, that's I mean, it's something like that happened. Which first of all is crazy. I mean, it's like, oh, it's that's kind of yeah, that's bonkers, anyways. But just that sort of amount of uh, energy you would put into getting there, getting back, it was it really stood out more to me than it had in the past. Mm. Jared, any any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I think you have to, depending on what movie you're watching, you know, you yeah. have to like gauge what level of suspension of disbelief you have to. <laughs> yeah. Um, this isn't up there with Fast and Furious. Um, <laughs> it's still like infinitely more believable than Fast and Furious. Oh yeah. Uh, but you know, there's just certain little things that you have to, uh, and, and some of them are funny, you know, like. Uh, I, I think there's a meme that usually goes around a lot of times at Christmas talking about like the older something to the effect of like the older I get, the more I wonder what uh, Kevin's dad did uh, for work to afford <laughs> afford all those plane tickets yeah. to France. I, but I think actually in, in viewing this time, it sounded like it was actually the uncle. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The one so, who had a house in New York. Yeah. And a house in Paris. Apparently. Right. Right. Oh so God. what did, yeah. So it wasn't the dad, but the, the dad's on what's on the meme, but yeah. What did the uncle do? Uh, it certainly wasn't to... uncle Frank. Cause we know he didn't pay for anything. No, so. that's right. Yeah, that's right. I guess it was a different uncle because yeah, that confused me because, it, because um, yeah, uncle Frank was the one trying to steal the, the China yes. uh, on the plane. Um, so that, that's kind of funny, but you know, there's just, um, there's other little things too. Like, like I always wonder like, how disliked were the McAllisters that they had no one else in mm-hmm. that city that they could call to be like, Hey, can you go check on my kid? You know, yeah. like they had to call the police. And so they try, they, they hang a lantern on like, Oh, the, the, you know, the neighbors are going to, um, the neighbors are going to uh, Florida for Christmas or somewhere. And I'm just thinking like, literally there's, there's no other family that, you know, but you know, um, mm-hmm. so yeah. it's funny, little funny little things like that. Oh yeah. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think for the most part, for what it is, you know, it still holds up pretty well as mm-hmm. as being pretty enjoyable. Yeah, I will say, yeah, you know, the um, huh, what was I going to say the uh, one of the things that I had read or, or seen that the filmmakers wanted to accomplish, which I'm glad that they paid enough attention to this, was how can we how can we build a situation where a parent will leave their child at home alone and not look like a terrible person? Yeah. Right. For it, you know? Yeah. Um, because clearly like my, my heart did go out cause both Kevin's parents and uncle Frank and his wife each had like five kids. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that place was a madhouse. Like, I mean, I say, I was watching, I will say watching it as an adult has been a different experience for me. I, I, I don't like any of those children. Right. Like, yeah, I, right, I mean, right. like, I mean, any, any of them, um, hardly. And, mm-hmm. and, um, but yeah, you can talk about sort of the logic building of creating a scenario where it's believable that they would be home alone. You know, one thing, um, I was really revved up to watch this again. So I paid like super close attention, like for the first however many minutes and then you get distracted or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, 
the opening scene where, you know, Kevin is just pestering his mom. If you pay attention to the phone conversation that she has, um, it's with a family member and she's establishing right then and there that nobody in their, in their immediate or extended family is going to be at their own home during Christmas. Like, Mm. Oh, my sister, she's going here and you guys are in Paris or whatever, you know, we're coming to see you and all this other stuff. So it's like, so, you know, it's almost like they wouldn't be able to call any relatives at Mm. least because they wouldn't be home. But Jared, to the point though, still about your neighborhood. I mean, you live in a neighborhood like that and it's kind of crazy that not even his dad or mom knew Marley very well. Yeah. Um, or, or like they had a coworker or something, you yeah, know, yeah, I mean, anyway, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, you just, it's just to... nobody. I know, which right. I yeah, mean, for sure. Yeah. I, I would say in 1990 as well, you know, we still mm-hmm. didn't have a hyper individualistic society right. at that point. I think things could have been a little more communal back then, but who knows? Maybe in yeah. Chicago it's different. I, but, um, so, um, Let's they see. didn't. They didn't have the cell phones with the numbers programmed in. They left yeah. all the numbers at home, and right. the, and the phone books in France were in French. And you yeah, know, they... <laughs> exactly. the um, I, I would yeah. There's a lot of grace for the parents and trying to deal with what's going on, and just like that opening scene, I, I will say is I'm more amused by Joe Pesci standing in the lobby. Mm -hmm. In that opening scene, just Mm -hmm. slowly losing his mind. Yeah. Like not being able to get any sense out of anybody who walks by and everyone has an excuse Mm -hmm. uh, for something. And I'm like, yeah, I I feel you on on that criminal. Um, So (laughs) the um, but I I will say my biggest my biggest logic gripe um, and and I I took to Facebook on this. So anybody's listening who's Facebook friends with me may have seen this and it has been since since I've watched this as a parent, I guess, because I, mm-hmm. I thought about this a couple of years ago, too, is they live in Chicago, which is home to one of the top three busiest airports in the world, mm-hmm. or at least in America, O'Hare mm-hmm. International Airport. They're taking an international flight. They oversleep, and when they walk out the door, they say the flight takes off in 30 minutes. I don't care if you live down the street from the airport. I don't think you're going to get from your front door to the terminal mm-hmm. in 30 right. minutes. Right. I definitely like not even in a pre nine 11 world. I think yeah. are you going to do that? Definitely not in a post nine 11 world. Right. Um, so that part just like blows my mind that yeah. you know, they were given how meticulous they were with mm-hmm. time management and detail management, because I then, because, because I'm, I was obsessed. I actually Googled where the house was, or, or I saw this, uh, in the second movie, um, Kevin's carrying around his dad's bag. In yeah. York, right. So when they look at the luggage tag, there's an address there. And they actually live like in a suburb of Chicago called Winnetka. And that's 30 minutes away from the airport. Uh, Interesting. So, so it's just like. That, well, and, and I think they did say, because I just watched it today before, before um, you know, doing this to kind of refresh myself. I think they said like 45 minutes. Okay. So 45. that does give them a little bit more time. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> Wrangling 14 people through international. Right. You know, oh, why, sure, sure. Why not? Just an extra 15 minutes is all you need. <laughs> Checking luggage and all this other stuff. And right. One thing oh my I do, gosh. it that totally bothers me. So I'm I'm totally with you. And as as I was watching this thing, I I wonder if the sheer fact that there are so many that would miss the flight, I wonder if that 
that gave them like cause a delay. Maybe? Yeah, it just made them have to wait. We're missing for, fourteen passengers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know though, but yeah, that still that really bugs me. Like that is that is an yeah. impossible situation. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, it's okay. I mean, you know, it's not a big deal. And this no, was just I a little. <laughs> This is a little coy thing that I didn't even think about until recently as well. But again, they all live in Chicago and Kevin is obsessed with New York style pizza. Um, maybe, maybe that's, that's why he doesn't get along with his family so much. I, I, I don't know, but, um, but I've always gotten the idea. Maybe it's just a stereotype that New Yorkers and Chicagoans are very possessive about their pizza style. Um, so anyway, that, that part has just tickled me a little bit there. Um, I will say though, going back to, um, being annoyed by the, by the kids is, um, is the climax is, is the, is the big emotional moment of the film. And like, obviously, um, his mom is going to be an emotional wreck. And I think Catherine and her really played that super well. Um, she, uh, yeah, I mean, she, for being a character in that situation, but still being like in a family comedy. Um, I think she took it as much to the emotional edge as was appropriate for that kind of film. Um, so that moment when they see each other is really sweet mm. on her part. Um, I, and it's, it's blinking. You'll miss it. And I'm probably being too hard on Kevin since he's like eight years old, but she comes in and she sees him and he has been like, you know, praying to the picture of his family. He's, he's this changed kid now so to speak and, and he wants to see his family so his mom's there and he just like side eyes her until yeah. she says she's sorry yeah. and i'm like yeah. you haven't learned anything you little brat <laughs> yeah i'm like that's the attitude that got you left alone yeah. in the first place yeah, yeah. i'm yeah. like i'm not gonna forgive you until you say you're sorry like well how much did you miss your mother a little psychopath <laughs> like, Right. Well, that's what I was going to say is it kind of plays into some of those like Kevin McAllister was a psychopath uh, sort of little things where like we I saw dealing one with the good son is what we were dealing with. was not yeah. Right. Yeah. They, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I saw one again. I just randomly saw this. I didn't even seek these out, but I guess just that it's the time of year. And so they're starting to go around. But um, it was an, it was, you know, another meme saying something to the effect like Kevin McAllister wasn't a victim he was hunting those men he toyed with them you know <laughs> he did though he did no but listen that's a thing and oh, i was gonna man. wait until we talked about home alone too but yeah. that was a thing too that does not age well on me at all mm -hmm. either was the way he right. trash talked those guys the entire time they were in pain it was yeah. a little i will say in the in the first movie it's a little cuter because he's younger and there's this sort of naivety about it um yeah. and he's like he doesn't seem as uh, deviant in the way that he's right. talking to them and stuff. But, and by the second one, he really seems to enjoy it a little too much. And is right. a little kind of, I mean, I don't, as a person, you know, I'm just saying like, you know, but the way the character is, is portrayed, he's just a little too full of himself. Right. For having it been what a year later. Yeah. You know? Right. Right. Um, and so, yeah, his, uh, his verbal treatment of them was a little disturbing at times. Um, and also, I mean, I have a real pet peeve for, um, for children of any age being portrayed as smart mouthed, mm -hmm. uh, uh, superior, you know, mm -hmm. characters. 
um, yeah. and almost any context, apparently, even when it's, you know, punishing criminals. Um, <laughs> although for what it's worth, uh, Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern really have great chemistry together on mm-hmm. screen as, yeah. as, as partners in crime. Um, a big, big props to Joe Pesci for making yeah. it through that film with swearing. Um, <laughs> uh, which, which they, they did talk about in the documentary as well, how that was an obstacle he had to overcome. Hmm. Um, and, and Stern as well. Like just, uh, uh, I think he's, you know, he's really underrated as a, as an actor. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, is is great. Let's see. Um, I have a few things written down. Oh, Tim, you talked about, you know, the aftershave, the scream, yeah. you know, scene or whatever. Um, again, it's just uh, Kevin narrating his life oh, is yeah. really like when he's not uh, when he's not toying with, you know, the, the, the criminals at the end is actually really kind of endearing and charming and, and, mm-hmm. and funny yeah. at times. And he's like he's recounting his shower to himself. Yeah. And I've never I've just been like, oh, you know, he's what a cute little kid, you know, thing um, at the beginning. But I actually listened to what he said this time. And he alluded to the fact that he might've washed his belly button for the first time in his life <laughs> to which, you know, yeah. when you're the parent of a young boy who likes to get dirty and play in the back, <laughs> backyard stuff. And you're like, I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa, buddy. <laughs> right. Hold on. Uh, did you just say what I thought you said? <laughs> anyway, it, it, just, just little, you know, little moments there and stuff. It, it's a, uh, it's a really, mm-hmm. really funny. Um, yeah, that was a funny moment, but it made it, you saying that made me think about another kind of aspect that I hadn't. I guess you you see a lot of growth in a kid, you know, and I remember that. But seeing it again, seeing that sort of maturing, having to kind of become brave, not just because of burglars, you know, definitely because of burglars, but also just because you're just on your own and you have no one else to rely on. And um, yeah. I kind of forgotten that sort of steady build um to where eventually and of course it goes crazy with all the you know the blueprints of the house that you know it goes nuts (laughs) but that's that kind of slow build of becoming a a braver kid i thought that was really interesting Mm -hmm. was a really interesting story arc too Mm -hmm. um that can be a good illustration for life in general like yeah for, for the person who thinks they what they want is to be isolated and left alone to their own devices. You know, he gets that and he indulges in it for a while and then just realizes mm-hmm. being alone is a terrible, terrible thing. Yeah. <laughs> and to the point where he's too afraid, you know, to go outside and eventually, yeah, he has to work up the bravery just to live a normal life. Uh, it's, it's kind of that's kind of depressing when you think about it that way. Yeah. But but well, he does. And- Go ahead, and, and, well, I was just going to say, and and of course, you know, when when you tie it in with the story of um, old man Marley mm. and, you know, kind of not exactly wanting the same thing, uh, but in a way, I mean, because, you know, he he and his son tell each other that they don't want to see the other one anymore. Yeah. Um, and then it's sort of, uh, you know, just a different kind of fear for him, mm-hmm. um, you know, of having to work up the courage to, you know, contact his son again yeah so you know for a movie centered around a child you know that that relationship and that church scene um you know really kind of brings it into a a broader it's almost kind of like you know they're they're sneaking the message in for for adults you know like oh you you thought this was about 
you know, childhood fears and this and the other, but you know, really it's, it's, you guys should be thinking about this. So yeah, that, that scene alone, uh, maybe not alone, maybe I'm exaggerating, but that scene in particular, at least like, cause I mean, let's face it. Two is basically a cookie cutter copy and paste version of one, just in a different city. Um, and substandard in a lot of ways. And we can talk about that in a minute. Um, but that scene is might be the chief component of what makes the first one superior to the second one for me, at least as an mm. adult now. Yeah. Is that scene one? I like the fact, um, and yet, yet not just because that you know I'm I'm gearing for for life and ministry and stuff, but I like the fact that he went to church on Christmas Eve, like mm-hmm. like he was alone and there was nowhere to go and he didn't have anybody to celebrate with, and I like the idea that. You know what? That that was his thought as a kid. Like, you know what? It's Christmas Eve. I should go to church or something. Like, yeah, maybe, maybe I can go here. And he goes there for a minute. And you know, Marley is there watching his granddaughter. And it's uh, you know, sad. There's really nobody there. You know, in yeah. attendance. Um, just a smattering of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the choir singing. Um, yeah. And the the song choice in that great to the Oh Holy yeah. Night, the way it's mm-hmm. done in that scene is just so mm-hmm. so good. Um. And yeah, um, for, for Marley to be there, um, so heartbreaking because that's the only way he can see her, yeah. you know, um, at that point. And um, it's, I, I was thinking about the passage of time in the universe of the movie in that scene, too. Um, and they have that conversation. And yeah, I think it's just such a, such a powerful scene, a great, a great performance by, um, sorry, I have his name written down. Um, Roberts Blossom, uh, is the actor's name who played, uh, old man Marley. Mm-hmm. And when he began to talk about his son, like watching him this time, I believed, I believed every word he said, like, mm-hmm. like uh, that, that felt, I mean, obviously, you know, your best actors are people who can make you feel and believe whatever they're going through. But sometimes, in movies, you you at least get the sense either in the really good actors or people who are method or whatever it is that somebody is reciting lines because they know where to go in their heart and their mind when they deliver them because they've been there before. And he really sounded like a man who had lost family to yeah. um, to strayed to frayed circumstances and strained relationships. And um, I really. I really love the exchange. I think when, when Kevin is his most kid-like to me too, like not obnoxious kid-like, but just innocent kid-like. And I want to yeah. talk about the Santa scene after this too, because he, he carries that as well mm-hmm. uh, a, a little bit. It's not as, it's not as heartwarming. This, uh, that one's a little bit funnier, but kind of sad. But um, in this scene, he's just being naive, but hopeful, yeah. you know? to him he's just like well why are you like mm-hmm. i love the fact you know that the man says you're never you're going to be too old for a lot of things but you're never too old to be afraid mm. um and where he just talks to me he's like well why don't you just call him you know like that's such a kid response like yeah oh you guys are just mad at each other he's like i don't care how mad i was at my dad i'd still want to talk to him mm. you know especially yeah. at christmas and him you know props to that actor to 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 blossom for like it's like when he hears Kevin say that, he's just like, he's starting to believe again that like, maybe he, maybe he will listen to me, you know? And he's just so afraid 
that he'll that he's already lost everything that's important mm-hmm. to him and just written off the possibility that anything could ever be different. And here you are just met with kid logic of, yeah. well, why? Well, why? <laughs> yeah. You know, and um, <laughs> and just I, tells him he's like, go ahead. Tim. No, you mentioned earlier that, you know, having a problem and I, I'm with you having a problem with kids kind of being. Are you you spoke somewhat about this, about kids kind of um, being better or wiser than well that is that's a long-term pet peeve of mine and i know i've said it to you many times (laughs) for sure Uh, and uh, kids being smarter than adults and i and i definitely had a problem with it in the second with him talking with the bird lady but this one i feel like man i'm such an axe to grind with that oh yeah we'll get there later oh yeah but this one it it really worked for me that even though it's it's almost kind of like kevin imparting wisdom to this old man but like it's like you said it's like this child logic naivete like it's not necessarily that kevin smarter has like more wisdom yeah. but it's just as a kid this is what how he's thinking about things and how it worked for i i, I just his, I like that a lot his perception of marley's problem has a simple has a simple solution yeah mm-hmm. and yeah and he's too naive and young to know all the complexities of executing that solution mm-hmm. he just sees the solution he's like yeah. well you should call him if you want to talk to him and if he doesn't want to talk to you, then, well, then you'll know that he doesn't want to talk to you, yeah. but you know, you should do that, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah. that was the real emotional climax of the movie for me was after mm-hmm. he makes up with his mom and he goes out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had griped about this before, I think to Tim, like kind of offline was that I thought it was a more, it would have been a more emotionally fulfilling shot to see Marley embracing his son you're rather than his granddaughter. Yeah. But if you look very, the, the, the camera right. does catch that. That is yeah, the first yeah. thing you see. It's just really quick. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. I won't, I won't, uh, now that I know what kinds of obstacles they had to get through just to make yeah. the movie, <laughs> yeah. I'm much more forgiving right. uh, of it. Uh, they, but, but the shot is there. It's just very quick. Um, yeah. and that, they only, so they only had one, they only had one take at it. And the, the, the father and son were already like hugging by the time the camera dollied up to the window. Right. And then that was all they time that had yeah. time. I'm, I'm making well, that up. Well, <laughs> what's funny though, is they had a very limited time to do an exterior shot when it was snowing that day. Oh, so they yeah. really were on like a tight rush yeah. to, to, right. uh, to get those outside scenes at the end wow. when it was snowing so heavy. So, I, I mean, you're kind of right, <laughs> you know, in that situation. Um, but yeah, the, um, the reunion there is just, just really wonderful. And, um, you know, Marley's a a great thing. Oh, well, I was going to say talking about the, the, like the, the time within the universe of the movie, um, you know, Kevin says goodbye to him and Merry Christmas and he leaves. And of course that's when, you know, the bell, you know, you know, dings, uh, chimes and he goes into action and Marley stays behind. And at first I'm like, Oh wait the concert isn't over. He's there to watch his granddaughter. Mm-hmm. So honestly, yeah. in the time of the universe, based on how long that entire booby trap thing takes place and stuff, he pretty mm-hmm. much stays for the concert. And then he goes to check on Kevin. Yeah. Like I, I would, I would assume that he mm-hmm. doesn't, there's not a lot of time between when he would leave the church logically and when yeah. he would rescue Kevin. Um, yeah. So I thought it was kind of neat. I'm still not entirely sure how he knew Kevin was in trouble since he was in his neighbor's house, other than just maybe seeing the destruction that was going on as he was getting home 
since he is neighbor, his neighbor. Mm-hmm. So yeah, watch him. <laughs> I imagine pulling him up, pulling up in the driveway and seeing him on a zip line going through the backyard, you know, <laughs> like something's not right here. Um, right. Let me follow them and see what I can do. Um, <laughs> one more quick thing I want to talk about, at least with the stunts and stuff. Uh, they, that movies that made us episode, they interviewed some of the stuntmen. Uh, uh, oh movie. man. Stuntmen are crazy. Yeah. Um, and they say that in the documentary it's like they're like stuntmen in general are just they're, they're not okay like yeah. something's to, to, to do what they do and apparently the the um the falls that marv and harry quote unquote take where they slip and like throw their whole body into the air uh, and get all this big air uh. and land on their back um, no one t- trained them how to take those falls. It was like, I wouldn't say the first time ever in a movie a fall was taken like that, but there certainly was no handbook on it. And they said since then in the movie industry, they call that kind of fall a home alone. Interesting. Um, oh my yeah. Goodness. So uh, those guys like, yeah, they're just talking about like how they just tried to go and, and they, and they interviewed Chris Columbus and he was just like, every time impact went, I, I couldn't watch. Like, he's like, I just turned away and I was like, did we get it? Yeah. And everything is like, is he okay? <laughs> Can we move on? Uh, and stuff, but, uh, pretty wild. Um, that they did, did, and, and all the stunt work there and, and, um, and what those guys did. But, uh, what came to my mind to bring that up is the shovel shot to the face. Um, mm-hmm. re- real shovel. Oh, they oh, said okay. that guy said and he like grinned at the camera he's like yeah that was real and i was like oh my gosh that's, that's terrifying why are you happy about this what's yeah. going on it's like watching ecw back in the day or something like it's just it's terrible you um, find out joe, joe pesci actually took a blowtorch to the head you know? yeah, right. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> daniel stern actually did take an iron to the face that right make up. right yeah. right oh my gosh um if we can get into the sadistic for a minute, do, do you guys have like a favorite or most memorable? Um, um, well, uh, uh, act of pain that is, that is, uh, inflicted upon those guys out of those gags. Hmm. I have to think. Yeah. Oh man. I'll say, I'll say a couple. I think they both come from Daniel Stern for me. Um, when I was a kid, I do remember seeing it in the theater. The one that really like made me like audibly laugh out loud harder out of both shock and humor was the iron to the face. Like that, yeah. just, like I was not expecting that at all. But, yeah. um, what really, but in retrospect, that's really terrifying. Cause he obviously had that iron on, which is why it left an imprint. Right. Like. Was that iron hot, or did it just hit his face so hard it left an imprint? I think it. I think it would have had to. Have been, I think it would have had to have been on. Maybe I don't know. Because <laughs> that's even more terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, right. Oh my goodness. Psychotic. Um, but there are two moments. One was really simple. Um, actually, but it was um, when he was trying to get in the basement door. And of course, you know, the steps were frozen solid and he falls down the steps and stuff. But it's when he's trying to work his way back up to his feet. And it's just like the sound effects and and the scream that Daniel Stern lets out where he slips and then the crowbar falls off the door and like lands right on him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just so cartoony. It was perfect. And 
um, again, for the scream that Daniel Stern lets out is the tarantula. Um, which made me recoil still kind of makes me recoil when I watch it, but Stern's scream is, is a scream to end all screams. Yeah. I remember Um, that. It's (laughs) call it intense is underselling it uh, highly. (laughs) Um, any other memorable ones? You kind of reminded me, I think, I think, yeah, there's a lot of really funny ones, but the a lot of the stuff with the stairs and the eyes, like a lot of that sort of physical comedy where you're just like sliding around. I, I remember really cracking me up and just amusing mm-hmm. me. Don't especially I don't remember which one now, but it was like it took several tries for them to get to a certain place, or they just got ended up going back backwards. I don't know. I don't remember now. My brain is uh, not working at the moment, but it just it, that I remember just really making me laugh a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know that any in particular stand out mm-hmm. for me. I mean, you know, they were, I, I liked them all. <laughs> um, a couple of bits of trivia. I, I at least did one. I wrote down a lot, but I don't really feel the need to go through all of them, but there's a couple that I wanted to mention. Um, th- so the movie, the gangster movie that he watches, I don't know if you guys knew this. I didn't know this to say it's not a real movie. Um, they, the, you know, keep the change of filthy animal, you know, that so. Mm-hmm. That was Amazing. created to be a fake movie within the Home Alone universe, like mm, oh, as an as an yeah. inappropriate movie for Kevin to watch. Gotcha. So, um, and they doubled down on that joke in, in the second movie as well. Um, mm. It's pretty wild. Um, yeah. uh, John Candy. We didn't really talk about John Candy very much, oh, but man. he improvised all of his lines. Um, his stuff was way funnier to me as an adult. I didn't appreciate how funny he was yeah. as a kid. But especially at the end when he's when they're sitting in the truck riding back and he's trying to he's trying to tell um, uh, I keep wanting to call her Moira because she's on Shit's Creek now, um, <laughs> Catherine O'Hara, that um, she's not a bad parent. And he goes around the truck at all the guys who were asleep and talking about how terrible fathers all of them are. Oh, yeah. uh, it's really oh, funny. Goodness. And then and then he tells this story he's supposed to be trying to cheer her up, but he tells the story about when he left his own son at a funeral home yeah. for a whole day. And she's just getting further and further discouraged and he doesn't realize it. Like it, it's, um, That's it's just so great. It's like he was better after six or seven weeks, you know, yeah. started talking, started talking again. And all this other stuff. Um, the fact that all that's improvised is, is impressive. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. So apparently John Candy did that movie as a personal favor to John Hughes. Um, mm. He was only wow. on set for one day. Um, wow. And that and ended up working a 23 hour day. Wow. And at the end of it all, this is the part. Uh, this is not really funny, but I mean, but I, I don't know what else to call it. He was paid less than the actor who played the pizza delivery boy. Wow. <laughs> they showed their stubs. This again is from the movies that made us. They, they discussed that and. Um, he was just, you know, he just lent himself to John Hughes cause he loved John Hughes and they had a good relationship and it's like, yeah, you know, I'll do this for you. And he, so he was doing it as a favor. So obviously that would make sense why he wasn't paid very much, but also like, I don't think he arrived on set knowing how long he would be getting used for that day. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, it's pretty, pretty crazy. So any lasting thoughts on Home Alone 1 before we run a buzzsaw through Home Alone 2? <laughs> mm, uh, no, not, nothing, nothing for me. I don't think. Okay. Yeah. Tim, 
All right, cool. Well, again, that's Home Alone. It's available on Disney Plus. Um, has been since its inception, I think, um, since Disney Plus's inception. Um, so you can check that out. Um, all right, so we're on to Home Alone Two: Lost in New York, which is uh, also available on Disney Plus. The um, it, it takes a dip pretty much in every category. Um, the, yeah. the Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> critic score it is half of what Home Alone was. It was thirty three percent. Um, it is certified rotten. Well, I say it's certified rotten, but it definitely has, it has the green splat uh, on Rotten mm-hmm. Tomatoes. Uh, the user rating is 61%, and IMDb rates it as 6.8. Um, same cast is back as the first time with a few changes. Um, Brenda Fricker is playing the old man Marley character this time around. Um, she is credited as Pigeon Lady. More on that later. Um, uh Rob Schneider and Tim Curry are also in this as well as uh, hotel workers. Rob Schneider is a bellboy and Tim Curry is a concierge. And then there is a cameo by our soon to be former president, Donald Trump as well. That's worthy of note as he yeah. owns the, and owned the Plaza hotel that uh, a lot of the movie takes place in. So um, home alone two was the third highest grossing film of 1992 behind uh, Aladdin and the bodyguard. Um, it was three consecutive weeks at number one compared to the 12 of the first one. Mm. Um, and yeah, so home alone too, you guys, um, it's basically home alone, uh, all over again. Yeah. Um, as a kid, had you told me that I got 33% as a, you know, watching it as like a seven year old, I've been like, I'm shocked. That's crazy. (laughs) It's what a, yeah. Now it, absolutely makes total sense oh without a doubt (laughs) yeah i i i was thinking about like man i do not remember i remember the basic points from it like i you know i remember Mm -hmm. the of well of course it says in the title lost in new york Mm -hmm. um but i remember that the you know the same two criminals you know find their way there hijinks ensue uh there's the the weird pigeon lady Mm -hmm. uh who's subbing in the old man you know the misunderstood um individual like you know subbing in for old man marley Mm -hmm. uh you know he he booby traps uh like an abandoned building instead of a house or an abandoned house or so um it's his it is the rich french uncle's uh new york house that is currently under renovation so okay and and in kind of breezing through and like home alone one, I went back and watched all the way through this one. I just like breezed through and kind of like halfway paid attention. So I, in my viewings, I had never paid attention to that. So I didn't realize that, but yeah, but I, I was thinking like, how do I not remember more about this movie? And then like, you know, sort of watching it again, I'm like, Oh yeah, it's so forgettable. It's just mm-hmm. like a copy of the first one. It's just like an obvious cash grab, He's, you know, like you said, he's not as young. And so it's not as like, oh, that's kind of cute mischief. You know, it's it's more like, yeah, it's cute. You know, so, um, yeah, I I realized in going back through it again, like why I'm just like, "Eh, yeah, no, this does nothing for me. This isn't fair to Macaulay Culkin at all. But at that point, in my opinion, he had drifted into that obnoxious pre-adolescent age mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where people, where, where kids feel confident in their own skin, but they're really not. Right. Or they think they feel confident in their own skin. And so, you know, it's that, like for me, it was that age of if I could make somebody laugh, 
um, I would tell the same joke like over and over again for an hour, you know, but trying to get that same laugh out of somebody, you know, uh, and, and, you know, when you're on the receiving end of that, like it's cute at first and then it just gets obnoxious really fast. Um, and so here, you know, he's, he's doing all the same tropes. I, I really think, you know, you can hit it on the head with the retread and stuff. Like, I feel like this might be in the running for like the quintessential lazy sequel. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Because it is almost everything. Like the, the only difference is that he's not left alone in Chicago. Right. That That's the only fresh thing I can think of. Cause he, what, and what's kind of crazy about all that is that it nullifies any emotional story arc he achieved mm-hmm. in the first one, because he mm-hmm. actually goes through the same cycle of behavior and mm-hmm. like living lavishly, yeah. realizing he's alone and, and all this stuff. And then, you know, meeting the downtrodden person mm-hmm. and then being their little miniature white savior. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's kind of, and then of course, you know, then the hijinks happen. Um, and he, and he has like a, a meetup with his mom again. It's like yeah. specifically, specifically the mom again. Okay. <laughs> and also this is not, this is not the biggest thing to me, but you know, obviously earlier on, I talked about how, I thought it was a really cool decision that he decided to go to church on Christmas Eve. And it, there's nothing particularly religious about home alone. The first one, you know, about you know their family being having any kind of faith tradition or anything like that. Um, but it really, it's, it's ambiguous enough that it seems like he's praying for his family to come back, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the second one, he is straight up praying to the Christmas tree and, 30 rock <laughs> he that, he's that. looking at the tree like they have this whole like they have created this whole narrative in the second one that he is so obsessed with christmas and christmas trees in particular mm. that mm. like that's the most important thing to him is having a christmas tree and like he had beef with it in the beginning because they're supposed to go to florida mm. and he's like how can you have a christmas tree when there's nothing but palm trees down there you know which okay solid solid problem to have solid gripe kevin um when when you're eight years old you know um and so all of a sudden it's like that's the key to finding where he is is that he's obsessed with christmas trees and he is literally at the base of other than having his hands clasped together he's like sitting there saying like i really wish i could have my family back i didn't mean to be a jerk and all this other stuff like Mm-hmm. And then, and that's when you know, mom shows up, uh, just like in the first one. And then he literally turns back around, looks at the tree, and says, "Wow, that worked fast." Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Kevin became a Wiccan between the first two movies. Like, I, I mean, and that, that okay, inter- that 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 brief interaction with Trump reshaped what it was his <laughs> his philosophical thinking. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's it there was so much that was unspoken in that moment it really was he still had that same like constipated frown on his face even in then too right he was decades away from where he is now and that that's anyway yeah donald trump makes a uh yeah cameo pointing kevin to the lobby of the hotel that he owns and just and I, and I believe the stipulation was like they they could film in there if they would give him a cameo well, you know what's funny, and I'm starting to wonder about this now, you know, knowing what all we know now. 
mm-hmm. is I was reading in the trivia. I didn't put this in our notes, but they um, had to redo the floor of the lobby um, for him to slide through, you know, mm-hmm. when he's trying to escape. Yeah. So they ended up putting tile down um, for, for the shoot. And Trump liked it so much, he kept it. Interesting. He kept the hotel like that. So oh, he wow. got his floor remodeled for free. Interesting. Um, that sounds basically. about, that sounds um, right. I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, doesn't surprise and, me. And, and you know, it, it, it's such, it, it is such a lazy sequel that, you know, I was thinking back to the moment in the hotel room where he plays, play, has the movie play again, where the guy's firing the gun and everybody's oh, diving. Yeah. So they re- repeat that, but I had kind of in in going through again, I forgot the scene in the the lobby where he slides. I mean that again is just a carbon copy of him running oh, away yeah. from the cop in the first one and slides right. across the ice rink. You know, the only there. thing I think that's a little different um, is the shower scene where he had recorded Uncle Frank um, in the shower and he does that bit for Tim Curry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which well, that bit still kind of makes me laugh, but yeah. But even with that, it's the silhouette, just like the silhouette. Oh, that's right for the of, party. Uh, for the party. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, literally, they just they just everything. copied every single thing. Like, I wonder if you could go back through and find, you know, apart from him not actually being home, and that annoys me too. Like the fact that he wasn't even actually home. He's not home alone, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's like the one thing that's got the little charm from the first one is stripped away uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for the second one. But I wonder, like, if you could go through and find just one semi-significant addition yeah. to that movie that wasn't just a copy, you know, a bad a bad copy of the first movie. Yeah. Uh because this time, well, I'll say, I mean, it is it is the home invasion all mm. over again, but it's predicated on him stopping the robbery of the toy store. Yeah. Um, but that's what cross has him cross paths with the criminals again, is he knows they're going to um, steal from the toy store. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what, that if anything, that is just phase one of the home invasion thing, because he's already abusing them before they even get to his house you know, mm-hmm. where he's booby trapped everything. So, um, that, yeah. So that part, so, you know, Kevin gets to New York and he lives it up and stuff. And I will say as a kid, not know, you know, not really being aware of how lazy this movie was. Um, there was a lot of wish fulfillment going on in there, seeing him, you know, abuse the room service and, mm. and having the limo to himself with his own pizza and getting driven around in a limo to toy stores and stuff. Um, when he goes and meets um, Eddie Bracken, the who plays the toy owner, um, <laughs> it's just such a uh, okay. Let me just just rip off the bandaid with this thing. Okay, so so you know the scene, he goes and he um, decides to. It, it's funny, like he. <laughs> it's all coming back to me because I just watched part of it this morning. Is that he? Um, decides to donate money to the because because the toy store is donating like all their Christmas Eve uh, sales to the children's hospital or something like that Mm -hmm. um, to charity. So he decides to give like twenty dollars or something to the the charity or I don't remember much, but it was it was more than a couple of bucks. And Kevin is like, 
I was supposed to save this for whatever. And I'm like, dude, you have your dad's money. Yeah. Like, what's all this false modesty? Like, he's just spending <laughs> his dad's money everywhere, first of all. But the the toy store owner is so moved, he allows him to, to take this little knickknack from his Christmas tree full of random ornaments on it. And, and, and there's just this silly visual MacGuffin of two turtle doves. And, and he says like so sincerely and sweetly, you know, these are two turtle doves, like, you know, like the 12 days of Christmas, you take them, you keep one and you give one to someone who's very special to you, you know, someone who's going to be your friend uh, forever or whatever. And so we, we pretty much relive home alone one all over mm-hmm. again in a different setting. Mm-hmm. And when he's with the pigeon lady and stuff, you know, uh, at, after everything has already happened and he, he goes to find her at the very end of the movie and he gives her that ornament. He's like, you know, I'll never forget you. And I will say it's certainly no church scene, but earlier on they're they're like, I don't know if it's Carnegie hall or if they're just in a, yeah. in a, in an auditorium where they're up in the rafters listening to the music. And it's really yeah. kind of a sweet scene. And mm-hmm. she does have the writing. There is actually pretty poignant about her, like how homeless people kind of become invisible. And mm-hmm. how she's like, I wasn't always like this, you mm-hmm. know, my mm-hmm. life wasn't always this way. And people just forget, choose to forget me now to forget that yeah. I'm even there. They don't yeah. even see me, mm-hmm. you know, and I think, and there's a lot of meat on that bone conversationally. Yeah. This movie does nothing with, um, <laughs> which, uh, um, yeah. but that being said, he goes and finds her at the end of the movie, gives her a turtle. turtle and he's like, now we're going to be friends forever. I have a huge problem with this. Not only for them being such great friends now obviously you know she saved his life and stuff for her part she was a great friend to kevin she'd saved his life she mm-hmm. talked to him um she learned his name yeah he doesn't yeah. even know her name the movie doesn't even know her name her name is pigeon lady in the credits <laughs> her name is actually pigeon lady in the credits Oh, God. and they're supposedly going to be these lifelong <laughs> oh. friends. He doesn't even know her name. And it's just so, oh gosh, that, that just, oh man, yep. that annoyed me so much. And I think it's because after going back and watching the first one again and being so moved by the Marley story arc, mm-hmm. seeing the retread of that being just that inconsiderate yeah. is mm-hmm. just, just awful. And the first one, because there was no template already there, it there had to be this natural buildup. So you saw that Marley character several times, and you know the yeah. stakes got with her. I think he ran into her once and got yeah. frightened, scared one time, one time, yeah. That and the, and then um, and then like ran into her again, and that's when they had that bonding. It was just very everything felt very rushed and more shallow. Like even mm-hmm. you know the. The whole situation with the family trying to find him, it was almost treated as a joke this time. And it mm-hmm. just there were, it felt like any of the tension and the like kind of stakes and build anything from the first one just wasn't there because they just like Jared said, it was just cooking. You just needed to like fit those cookie cutter, those holes, you know, it just. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, except with the Yeah, except with the mother, you know, again, like she went out and, you know, the first time. Um, I don't know. Maybe um, maybe I'm thinking too hard about this. But the first, you know, in the first movie, they're in Paris, and they realize on the plane to, uh, to Paris that he's not there, yeah. and so she doesn't want to even leave the airport. But 
but he, the father, has still got all of their kids, you know? Yeah. So one of them is going to have to take the kids somewhere if if the other one's going to stay behind. And so, I mean, that is a choice a couple will make, you know? Mm, yeah. yeah. But in the second one, they all arrive at the hotel together. The kids aren't going anywhere. Yeah. Like, why did he stay behind at the hotel? Like, did he need to fill out the paperwork or something? Yeah. Did he need to get on the car, get on the get on the phone with American Express and and dispute a bunch of ho- credit card charges or something? Like, I don't know why in the world. I would never let you know. I can I I can understand the situation in the first movie, and yeah. I would see a situation. Yeah. Well, and and I and I can't deny this either because I've I've let this happen where I would let my wife go. Um, on her own to, to, to go find our child um, where I'd have to stay behind with the other children. Mm-hmm. But in this situation, I would never let my wife alone in the middle of the night in New York city by herself, go hunting for our child when the rest of our children are in one of the most luxurious hotel hotels in the city yeah. with, with, with my brother and sister-in-law, by the way, it, like, even if he is, yeah. you know, a cheap, cheap, Mr. Cheapskate, um, <laughs> which I will say uncle Frank is, uh, he went from like my most hated character as a kid to one of the better comic reliefs. And, uh, and later on as an adult, just his, his selfishness is so he could be a bluth. I mean, yeah, he's right. Yes. Self-involved. Yes, true. <laughs> um, it's pretty wild, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't get why the father, didn't go out with her at this point other than to other than to recreate the exact yeah, same the exact same thing right yeah. yeah and and other than that yeah. and um or they had already decided that kevin that that his dad was going to be mad at the room service bill so the first time he sees kevin or the first time you see them interact is him yelling at kevin yeah for, which great great parental model there yeah well they had to they had to they had to copy the you know the buzz moment the buzz moment from the first one so yeah the more the more we the more we talk about it the more annoyed i get by it that they just had to you know it basically like they could have taken for all i know they took basically the exact same script and then they just deleted out parts of the yeah. action lines. Turned, turned it they like into they, Mad Libs. They, they yeah. didn't even have to delete the old action lines. They just de- deleted out the parts and replaced it with the new, uh, you know, the new bits. So like yeah. Kevin throws paint can, but yeah. New York version. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, it would have been really funny if he ate a Chicago deep dish pizza while he was there. Yeah. Right. right. Um. Anyway, um. One more thing that I noticed. Um this time around. So, you know, the McAllisters are going to Florida and, you know, Kevin ends up in New York, of course. Um, I can't remember anymore, like who they were going to see, or I guess if they were going to stay somewhere like at a resort or something like that. Um, but obviously in the first one, when they get to Paris, they, they go to their family member's house Mm. and that's where everybody's holed up at while they're trying to figure out what's going on. Well, when they get to Florida, they end up going to this cheap motel that, um, you know, Uncle Frank has a joke about. It didn't look this. It looked didn't look this bad on our honeymoon, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and which makes me wonder: were they always going to be going to that hotel? Right. Was like this rich family mm. like 
like why did they go to yeah, this place if, like because if you're already in that city and you're going to stay somewhere for the night night you might as well go to where your destination is yeah um and so i'm like where were they intending on going that they decided to stay there uh instead yeah. you know um just uh, I, I, i'm still not sure yeah. what that was about yeah um and this is this is very nitpicky but even but because in the in the context of the film i know that both films are two years apart, but in the film, she was like, oh, you know what happened a year ago with yeah. Paris? I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, if something that crazy happens, let's next Christmas, let's just stay stay in. Let's, let's stay, stay home. home. <laughs> you know? Yeah, let's stay The home. fact that they were just like that ready to go out again, I just was, again, it's nitpicky, but I'm like, oh, man, just, just pump the brakes. Just, you know, yeah. have a good one at home. It's fine. Yeah, when you have a traumatic holiday experience... <laughs> yeah. You yes. don't test the waters on that experience yeah. the following yeah. or, year, or, or, like, or if you if you do, you don't like you don't do it halfway to to where you're like, okay, we made sure he got to the airport yeah. this time, so nothing right. crazy is going to happen at this giant airport of the yeah. world. So now we can relax. Mm-hmm. So you 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 make sure that he's like on the seat beside you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they even overslept to. Two years in a row. Yeah. Now, yeah. the fir- again, first movie, totally understandable. There was a power outage um, that happened in the night. And so, you know, the, and they, they were asleep when it happened. Mm-hmm. But this time around, uh, the dad had unplugged like a search protector and mm-hmm. plugged it back in and it reset his, uh, his alarm clock. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys, but like if my head sleeps next to that alarm clock, I'm going to see that it's blinking midnight yeah. and also <laughs> going to remember Last year, yeah, yeah. we overslept <laughs> and had to rush to the yeah. airport. I'm going to make absolutely sure I've got two or three alarms. Yeah, ready to go. I'm going to tell everyone in that family, "Hey, set an alarm! Like we're not going to mess All it up this time." It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, which again, that is that, but that that is also you know 21st century. Oh yeah. Um, conveniences too, like everyone in that house. There, there's probably 20 cell phones in that house. Yeah. Right. If that gets made this this year, yeah. so somebody's got a charged up phone. You know what they, I mean? They, they do try to, um, you know, sort of hang a lantern on it where the parents are talking to the cop, you know, and the cop asks them, has anything like this happened before or something? Or I forget how they phrase it uh-huh. or how the cop phrases it. And, and the parents are like, well, this exact same thing happened, you know, last <laughs> year or something like that. And they're they're like. They're like laughing about it. They're yeah. like, oh, it's it's kind of becoming a McAllister family tradition. And right. the cop is just like stone faced, just doesn't, you know, doesn't right. crack a smile or anything. Like most of us would be like, yeah, you, wow, you left, you left your child and twice. You're laughing about it. And now you're laughing about it. And yeah. at that point, they don't know where he is. Yeah, I guess not. Yeah. Because they don't know he's at the airport until yeah. uh, they don't know he's in New York until the credit card just comes back as stolen. Wow. Yeah. And because yeah. because it's in that same scene where he realizes that his wallet's missing. Yeah. Um. So like. We lost our kid in the airport and now we're in the Chicago airport and now we're we're in Florida. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we're just going to laugh about. <laughs> I don't yeah. know where my right. nine year old is. <laughs> it's oh, a family tradition. Um, yeah, I'm calling family services like right away. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that's why there couldn't be, I mean, there there actually was a Home Alone 3, but not with Kevin McAllister, but that's the reason is he just got taken away from the family after the second. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's no longer a McAllister. <laughs> oh my, 
gosh. Um, yeah. So, uh, you, you know what? I will say something positive about this movie. I think this is Rob Schneider's least obnoxious movie oh, um, for his role. Wow. Uh, I actually yeah. found him. I actually found him pretty funny um, mm-hmm. in this role because he was very subtle. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, way more subdued. And Tim and Tim Curry, I mean, stole just about every every scene he was in too. Just I, I don't know. I'm a I'm a fan of his unorthodox voice and accent um on certain scenes and just how mm-hmm. over the top he was for that movie yeah yeah uh was pretty entertaining as well yeah and any tim curry movie where i don't have to think about him as pennywise is, is, is a plus um so yeah yeah um uh, man so home alone 2 um yeah. Yeah, can i bring up can... one <laughs> yes one please. quick i'll try not to be too uh we, we don't have to talk about this that much but one thing that also surprised, I think as a kid, I was just oblivious to, didn't think about it all. But the first film, a lot of the, you know, the, 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 the like the last, you know, the third act, I guess, the, all the hijinks. The first one, they're pretty rough. They're pretty brutal, you know. And yeah. They're definitely should have caused more injuries than they did. But the second film, I feel like the first instance of anything where he throws a brick Oh my god. At Harry's head. He should have died. Yes. Like th- that was a moment as an adult. I'm like, oh my goodness. Every every single one of these things I- in New York should have killed the, yeah. the um, Harry and Mark by, inst- immediately. Like, <laughs> by the way, there are multiple YouTube videos where doctors diagnose the injuries sustained <laughs> in Home Alone. Um there my favorite one, because it's a little more lighthearted, is from Screen Junkies. And it's called Honest Action. They had a brief oh, series where they did some action uh, movies where they oh, diagnosed man. the injuries sustained and how likely it would be that someone died or what their trauma, physical trauma, would be from it. And so they have one that they made like six years ago called Honest Action Home Alone. And uh, it's made almost like a video game. There's like video game sound effects and there's like, you know, internal bleeding. And then you get have like a <laughs> have like a Mario extra life sound when they come back to the next scene. Um, <laughs> anyway, it's 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 a uh, pretty entertaining. Uh, but yeah, no, the brick scene oh, um, is the only time I really kind of feel disappointed in myself. Um because the gag, and I'm blaming Daniel Stern yeah. on that. The way yes. he sells yes. every brick to the face, yes. I can't not laugh. It's, like I, um, just his his groggy look and and the constant falling down yeah. and getting back up again. Um, it's, it's so dumb, oh but goodness. it's it's really funny. But yeah, like the obviously they they appeared to escalate the violence and the traps this time around, but didn't it seem just so much more sinister yeah 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 like just sadistic like he's like like you said jared like he's hunting them yeah this time he is because he doesn't have anything to defend (laughs) right yeah and i think you know the the first one at least had the backdrop of being in a bright house set Yes, for mm-hmm. Christmas, you know. Whereas right. this was yeah. this was a this different like Batman setup. Returns or something. It, it did. It it felt like a you know like a Batman movie or something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> the um and also like just talking about his sort of cuteness and naivety to his like you know jerkiness. Like in the first movie, like right before he starts shooting them in the crotch with his BB gun, which also underrated gag as well um but that's my juvenile susceptibility to humor um 
he cocks the gun and he and he says, "This is it. Don't get scared now." Like like he's like mm, he's trying yeah. to like you know, um, psych himself up to to do what he needs to do, you know. And it's not like some great movie line or something, but it's believable for for that because like he wants to defend his house and and he is scared, but he's not gonna let that prevent him. But at this point, he's like. It literally, like, if you go back and look at when he throws, when he starts the whole domino effect of, of uh, disrupting the robbery at the toy store, he mm-hmm. throws a brick into the toy store window, and he's like, "Another Christmas in the trenches." Like, like he doesn't seem threatened yeah, at all. Right. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, so you're Bugs Bunny now? Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, two Elmer Fudds and 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 your Bugs Bunny, like at least it seemed like he was on the defensive for, for part of it and, and home alone, you know? Yeah. But at this point, it really does seem like he's hunting, he's hunting them down. Like you said, Jared, it's, it's, it's a little I, troubling. I, I now have a curiosity because I've never seen the third one, you know, because it was a different actor. It might've even been, it was, maybe it was straight to DVD. Um, um, yeah. That's but, also on Disney plus, by the way, the third, I, I kind of want to check it out. Cause I just pulled it up while we were looking at it here and you can tell they have tried to go even like even bigger with it. So I'm just looking at the movie poster here and there are four villains this time. Oh, and, and they're like, I've seen it. And yeah. And, and they're like, one of them's being electrocuted. One of them is frozen. One of them looks like she's been buried in the ground. And then the kid has a parakeet on one shoulder and a rat on the other shoulder and they're both wearing helmets. Like they have just <laughs> escalated this. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> to literally like a cartoon level. So I am now sort of curious about home alone three. And actually, as I was pulling this up, um, the, it had that Scarlett Johansson yeah, was, was actually in it as his as older sister. sister. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Scarlett Johansson young. Young Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, that movie was, uh, <clears throat> it should have been straight to DVD if it wasn't. I, yeah. I don't remember if it was, but, yeah. oh gosh. Yeah, it was weird. And it was like the villains, you know, like they look like two, you know, the first two movies, they like two hapless cat burglars, you know? Mm-hmm. But the, these guys, if I remember correctly, they look like this sort of like fast and furious level. Yeah, like, like, like squad. Like I'm looking yeah. at... I'm looking at one of them and he looks like a, like a male version, like from the poster, he looks like, like Bellatrix or something <laughs> yeah. from, from Harry Potter <laughs> or Bride of Frankenstein or something oh here. Gosh. It's just, it's, it, yeah, it's just bizarre. Yeah. The, um, the last thing I will mention, at least in terms of trivia that I've got, I think that's the only other thing I want to bring. Um, it always feels weird going back to his sightseeing days seeing the montage and seeing him stand on top of the world trade center. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, apparently in TV broadcasts after nine 11, they cut that part out and yeah. didn't, uh, didn't even restore, didn't restore it till a couple of years ago, but it's back in uh, broadcasts now. Um, boy, it's just a weird sight. And honestly, I, I don't know, but you guess, but I forgot how huge those buildings were, man. Yeah. When right. You see it in perspective uh, right. of the rest of the city and stuff. Gosh. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Home Alone 2. Um, seems like it might be worth it, but probably not. Um, mm-hmm. Also available on Disney+. Plus. Uh, any any parting words for Home Alone 2, you guys, before we go? 
like I think the more I talked about it, the more it just like gave me this like irrational anger about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. I, I now like want to just kind of see like, did you guys make any creative decision that was different from the first or was it mm -hmm. just like, nope, that formula worked. We are literally yeah. going to hit every single beat and not deviate once. Cause I have a feeling that's probably, probably what it was. Yeah. Oh. It was, it really seemed like a, a case of let's just stick with what worked the first time. And I don't actually know what worked the first time. It's right. Just, oh my gosh. Oh man. Well, um, yeah. So I guess, I guess that'll do it for this episode, the incredible Kulk. Um, so, uh, please feel free to uh, follow us on Instagram at, uh, night cheese with Steven and Tim. Uh, or on t at Twitter at Pod Night Cheese, or on Facebook with Night Cheese Podcast with Stephen and Tim. Um, we'll be back again next week with uh, with another selection. Um, we'll, we'll see uh, what what comes next. And um, if you have any uh, thoughts on Home Alone, please reach out to us at any of the channels and uh, let us know what you think. Um, were we too hard on Home Alone too? Um, <laughs> any harder than Kevin might've been on the wet and or sticky <laughs> bandits, at least. Um, are there any other gaps in logic that we were missing tonight? Um, feel free to let us know and join the conversation. And until then, keep working on your night cheese. You filthy animals. This isn't up there with Fast and Furious. <laughs>